Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Susan Vobedo with me, who is the CMO of The Trade Desk. Susan, hi and welcome to the show. Hi, Nadine. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here, too. You know, I am fascinated with your journey. You've kind of, you've, you described it, a spider web career. You went from CMO of Turry Birch, a fashion brand, to CMO of the Trade Desk, uh, a technology company, which is such a huge jump. And I, I want to hear more about why you decided to take that leap. But before we do that, kind of walk us back a little bit. Like, where did you start and take us up to Tory Birch? And then let's figure out, like, why you went to technology. I've had a really eclectic career. I would define it as a learning career. What drives me is learning something new. So that's taken me through tech, uh, fashion, um, media companies, advertising, finance, retail, e-commerce, the technology boom in San Francisco. All of these things have been a part of my, my career. And my moves have been really based on something interesting, something I could learn at the next place, and also thinking I could contribute something from my past. Really, after any retail job, I didn't go into another one, (laughs) is what's happened, (laughs) because it just didn't seem that interesting to me to do kind of the same thing, you know, twice in a row. So that defines the move from Tory Burch to the trade desk. When I thought about what I would do next, and also thought about my marketing career, I really felt it was important at this point to be on the cutting edge of what's happening in marketing. And what is on the cutting edge is data and technology and its use to propel growth. And I realized that most marketing leaders and CMOs aren't really immersed in the tools, the technology that you use to propel growth. And if you talk to CMOs, I'll tell you kind of, I just, I don't know enough. I need to know more. How can I learn more? So I thought it was uh, a great opportunity to start to think about how I could be more on the cutting edge as a CMO and a marketing leader. And that's what led me to look at the trade desk. 
Wow. Okay. So the trade desk, why don't you tell us what is the trade desk? And then let's talk about some of the learning curve that you had to overcome or get up on. The Trade Desk is a technology company that markets a demand-side platform. It's called a DSP in the ad tech world. And what it is is the platform that agencies use to purchase programmatic digital media. So that's using data to target customer segments across the web, across digital media, across devices with messages. As we know, you don't typically go to a publication and do a direct order for a digital buy anymore. You really target audiences, and this is the platform that agencies use to to enable those campaigns. What I sort of wrote down a few years ago on a piece of paper, and so I recommend anybody who's thinking about their career, what they want in general in life, to write it down, to force yourself to say, what, was it, what is it that I want on paper? And that creates your strategy. So I wrote four things. Um, one is a digitally centric or digitally uh, native company, so a modern technology company or a company that was going to transform itself. Two, the company needed to have some scale and growth, but um, the third was leadership is needed to get to the next place. And so they were looking for someone with experience like mine to really help take them to another place with their brand. And the fourth was a click with the people. And a click with the people to me is actually the most important thing. It's one of the key reasons that I made the move to the trade desk was just I fell in love with the, the company and the people there. Yeah, I know. And we were talking about this in Can together, and I got a chance to meet your lovely crew. But the story of it sounds a lot more like a, a a surfing consumer brand background than it does a technology background. So tell me a little bit about what made you fall in love with the people there. Sure. I met my boss for the, the first time in New York. It was my second interview with the company. And I don't know. when You know what it happened? Uh, this is Jeff Green, the CEO of mm-hmm. the Trade Desk. And I don't know. If you've really experienced it, hopefully you have a lot. I have in my life when you just meet someone and it, you click with them. You just like instantly have a rapport, instantly get them. It was probably 20 minutes into our first interview where he said, you know, I think you could really be great here. Mm. And then he took me after that to a meeting where he was talking to investors about the company, the company strategy, where it's going. So I could just listen and be a part of that conversation because, of course, most people that come to the trade desk – don't um, have a background in ad tech. <laughs> so he understood intuitively that just starting to like introduce me to some of the concepts would be a great idea. And then we met in Ventura, California, which is where the company's based for my full round, which consu- consisted of you know, meeting several people at the company and getting a, a feel for the vibe of it. But also the, the famous three-hour sushi lunch with Jeff where we sat and talked about um, you know, who we were as people, how we grew up, what drives us, uh, and what we want in our lives. And, I mean, just a, a, a leader that does that with his key hires and has the, the overall philosophy, which he does, about the business is all about the people and the relationships just was really interesting to me and really um, something I was attracted to, for mm-hmm. sure. The Trade Desk itself was founded in a surf town in California. Ventura is an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. It's surprisingly sort of throwback and untouched. It's not uh, very commercial. If you walk through the downtown of Ventura, there's not a lot of chains, brands that you would know. It's like just very like sort of old school 
uh, mom and pop local shops, and the community's super laid back. And so not like Silicon Valley. Not like Silicon Valley. Really <laughs> different. And it was a conscious choice by Jeff and his co-founder David Pickles, who met at Microsoft and wanted to start this company together. Dave's a huge surfer, and um, initially, the first employees at, at at the company went surfing at lunch. And then if you joined the company, you could get a surf lesson as part of like your onboarding. <laughs> so it's just a super cool part of the story and the DNA. And something that happened coming from Tory Burch, where I learned a lot about how to you know capture and really honor uh, the DNA of a brand. That's one of the first things that we started doing in the advertising and the marketing was reflecting those roots, that DNA of Ventura and, and the surfing culture. The first big project I had was maybe seven months into my time at the company, and we launched the biggest product release ever in the history of the company. And we called the whole release the next wave. Oh, wow. (laughs) And did something that you don't often see in a technology release, which was a lot of imagery around surfing, the next wave, and then sort of drilled down into the specific products. So it was very much captured the attention and the imagination of our core users and and customers. Wow. Okay. So this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you because it's fascinating to me that you come from a B2C background, retail, fashion. Mm -hmm. And when you're telling me these stories about the trade desk, I'm enthralled because it sounds like a consumer brand, but it's a technology brand. And even this big campaign that just went out, it feels so human. In fact, human is part of the entire campaign. And we don't often associate that with technology companies. So, so tell, us, tell us about this big campaign. We launched a campaign called Media for Humankind. It was the result of an 18-month effort to <laughs> kind of find a brand campaign that reflected who the company is at its core. The way that we approached it was really to think about authentically the role that the company plays for people and in the world. And my early sort of thinking was that the role is really very, very important. And people don't realize it because you kind of think of it as, oh, it's a tech company and it's software. Mm. But this company actually enables through its tool and the purchasing of advertising across the open internet, it enables journalism and publishing and freedom of expression to thrive across the open internet. That's how journalism online exists. And it's a very important role in the campaign in really standing for people. Um, We all benefit from an open internet. And I think we're all pretty concerned right now about the idea of three or four large global media companies controlling information and the advertising ecosystem. So the role that the trade desk is playing in propelling the open internet and making sure that it's it has vitality is critical. Okay, I love that. Can you can you dive in just a little bit deeper on that and tell me exactly what that means? Sure. The important thing to know about our approach to the campaign is we wanted it to be about the end consumer. So the end consumer is, yes, our our advertising client agency clients and brands leverage our platform. But in the end, the open internet exists be, for the benefit of all of us. And we wanted to really reflect that in this first part of the Media for Humankind launch, which is this, we call it the principles. And that's what you see when we talk about Media for Humankind and the work. We talk about 
the role of independence, the role of global reach, the role of being objective in in the advertising. We work for buyers of advertising, and we, like, you know, many of the large media companies also own media assets. So they are biased in what they're buying for brands, and we are not. So there's several of the key benefits that reflect the importance of an independent platform that's fueling the open internet in the advertising. Okay, so so the, I'm just trying to unravel this because there may be some people out there that aren't clear about that ecosystem and maybe some that are very familiar with mm-hmm. it. It is a complicated ecosystem. So the, the ad tech ecosystem was certainly a head scratcher for me mm-hmm. while I was CMO Tory Burch <laughs> and certainly walking into the trade desk. So um, fortunately, I've had a lot of great coaches within our company. But, you know, marketers are in sort of this, it's a bit of a tug of war right now. Google, um, Facebook, they are compelling places to put your dollars. But one of the frustrations is that you don't get a lot um, of information about exactly how the dollars are being spent, the targeting, how, you, how the data, the, the data coming out of those campaigns, what the results are. There's just not a lot of information. It's why well, it's called a walled garden and it's a bit of a black box. And marketers are frustrated by that. You can target effectively across the open internet outside of those properties, using platforms like the Trade Desk to reach consumers and to reach you as you go throughout your day on your mobile device or your connected television or listening to audio. You can reach consumers that are doing all of those things across the open internet with platforms like this. So that's the difference of a DSP or demand side platform targeting the open internet and working with the walled gardens. So it's a it's an interesting time for marketers right now in thinking about how to deploy dollars and in a transparent way mm-hmm. um, so that you can understand what's happening with your campaigns and with your data. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like we could spend three hours talking we about the, more, right? Some people spend <laughs> a decade learning this business, right? So thank you for that. Um, I'm very interested in these principles that you said you designed around the end consumer, so the the beneficiary mm-hmm. of what's happening or the intended beneficiary. What were those principles? So the the principles in so in doing a B2B campaign, we built a platform but then also some principles that really support the concept of media for humankind, kind okay. of structuring the strategy for it. Mm-hmm. And in B2B, it's really important to dimensionalize sort of the reasons why of your, your proposition because you're not necessarily looking at a handbag and saying this is a great handbag and you can kind of see it visually. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> need to dive deep and talk about like what your how your company is is different. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the, the principles, there's four of them were um, open independence, objectivity and reach. And those principles benefit the whole ecosystem. So when I say the whole ecosystem, it sounds very you know techy and B two B. But what I mean by that is agencies, brands, and the end consumer. Mm-hmm. So, for example, independence is something that we talk about as a company because we don't own media assets. We're not sort of buying and selling mm-hmm. when we're engaging in a transaction on the behalf of a brand. We only work for the buy side. Mm-hmm. So that benefits agencies that benefits brands and that also benefits end consumers because they're seeing the most relevant ad possible um, in an unbiased way with an unbiased purchase when they're looking at their phones. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's 
sort of, you know, a lot of people don't know is that when you're looking at your phone and you know how there's a, you know, a little bit of a lag when an ad comes up, mm-hmm. um, there's actual, actually a real-time auction happening for your, um, for your eyeballs for in that impression based on your um, mm. characteristics, not you personally because we don't use personally identifiable name and name and address or anything <laughs> yeah. when we target, but uh, somebody with your characteristics. So the more that we can deliver a, like a relevant ad to you that is something you would like to look at at that moment, um, you know, the better the overall experience is with digital for you. And yeah. that's the aim. Okay. You gave me goosebumps because um, I was just having this discussion, not just yesterday, but like three days ago, again, five days ago, again, 10 days ago, like Everyone's talking about if mobile phones are actually listening to us because of the audio. So I won't, I won't open that can of worms here. But I will tell you that it is odd that I can say something to somebody and all of a sudden I get a relevant ad that surfaces to me in some stream, some channel, literally verbatim what I had just said the day before, the, the hour before. Hmm. So that's not something that we do, but mm-hmm. um, it's not part of our our business. But – if you're concerned about that, you need to look in your settings mm-hmm. at what apps have your microphone on and um, just make sure the microphone's off. That's my tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, check. Uh, all right, so I'm a little bit of a data geek too, um, so I might go a little deep here. But I'm just curious. Well, one, there's the bidding engine and then you know having the inventory of what to select from. But there's a matching process in there too, which requires a lot of data both mm-hmm. on both sides of the fence, right? So do you also – collect the data yourself or using a third party or how do you think about what data points to use in, in rendering the ads? Well, I think as a marketer, first of all, we need to, and as a CMO, we need to think about data as a key asset. It's mm-hmm. a key asset that we are building for the company because leveraging first party data, and that's when a company has a marketing database, and we also have one for our marketing efforts comprised of agency members or clients, people mm-hmm. who use our platform. That first party data is a, an important asset to be building and protecting. And so when you're working with partners in this ecosystem that are helping you um, leverage that first party data and that knowledge to grow, either acquire customers or develop those customers further, that's really important when you're thinking as a marketer about your marketing strategies and enabling a customer strategy. So it's the most important asset that you have. Not every company really treats it that way. And one of the things we can do is through our technology, again, we don't literally use first-party data. We anonymize it before we leverage it on a platform Mm -hmm. like the Trade Desk. But we can help you understand the profiles of your customers and look for like customers, for example, uh, do lookalike modeling in a lot of different iterations using our platform and give you full transparency to the strategies we're using. Um, and if, if I'm a CMO in a company after this, that's a more of a consumer company, I'm going to spend a lot of time, a lot more time than I did in my mm-hmm. previous life, understanding exactly what strategies are being employed because it also drives creative messaging and ideas around your storytelling when you understand who you're trying to reach and what's resonating with them. Yeah. So amazing. Okay. So you as CMO of the Trade Desk, you have, one, the responsibility to design this beautiful campaign that you just did. And I actually looked at your creative. It's it's 
really sharp. The work that you've done there around the brand identity. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It all started 18 months ago or so when I had an early one-on-one with Jeff. We were on the phone and he said, help us find the soul of our brand. And I think it's very unusual for a tech CEO to ask the new CMO to do that and say that it's a priority for him to tell stories like this in an engaging way and really tap into who we are authentically. And I I actually wrote that down on a piece of paper (laughs) and kept it at my desk. And we used the picture of that note (laughs) and showed it to the company when we presented the campaign to the whole company. But it's, it's a huge opportunity for a CMO to be, or anyone involved, our entire team, to be part of something as big as this that really defines the company and its storytelling going forward. I personally think creative, you know, as much as I'm currently working in a company that helps marketers deploy data and technology to grow, I think creative is one of the most important pieces of what we're doing as marketers because you have to be able to tell your story. You can do amazing targeting. But if you're not telling your story in a compelling way that resonates emotionally, you're not going to get noticed in this day and age. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I did as part of my organization build, and we haven't talked about what it's like to work in a hyper-growth company. We should. It's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> but um, we, we actually built an internal creative organization that it's, we do work with creative agencies as well. But our story is so complicated and um, and detailed that it's hard to to just exp- explain it externally for mm-hmm. every single project. Mm-hmm. So we have a very robust internal creative team that helps us with our storytelling. Wonderful. And you actually went to a world class photographer for this last campaign, right? Right. Um, as Martin Scholler, so our agency was um, BBH that mm-hmm. worked on Media for Humankind with us. And Martin Scholler, the photographer who shot uh, Colin Kaepernick for the Nike ad, mm-hmm. his sort of um, profile, that famous picture where it's close up mm-hmm. on, on him, he did the campaign for us. Wow. And it's just turned out so beautifully. And we, we intended to shoot humanity. That was the brief for this campaign. We wanted to shoot humanity. And um, this, the campaign also runs globally, so you really see the diversity of our global tribe in the work. I love it. Okay, so, you know, there's definitely a merging between what I would say or where we used to be, B2C and B2B. And I just had uh, Stephanie, the CMO of uh, Salesforce on the show, mm-hmm. too, and she was talking about it's all about the humans. You're talking about it's all about the right. humans. But you also are responsible for how you enroll your customers, which is still slightly different from how you would have at, say, Tory Birch. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about your marketing team and the kinds of things that you're working on beyond brand purpose, the creative and storytelling like there's the actual nuts and bolts of performance marketing also that you Mm -hmm. have to incorporate what does that look like for sure i mean we have an amazing business development or also known as sales organization in at the trade desk and one of our key goals is to support their efforts around the world lead generation events public relations I'm building a global team to support in markets now. When I started, there were three people deployed outside of the United States. Now there's almost 20, and that's Mm. in two years. So um, really supporting our um, teams in working with clients, both prospects and, you know, existing clients is part of what we're up to. 
And because the product is so complicated, that those activities range from detailed education about how to use our products, tips and tricks for traders living in the platform every day, all the way to major events, entertaining, um, and then obviously lead generation. We just did a really fun kind of pre- Media for Humankind, a fun <laughs> campaign called Super Powered by Traders that's specifically targeted to the trading community that uses our platform day in, day out. They are the agency traders. They're an amazing group of people that often are kind of hidden in the <laughs> you know agency ecosystem because they make the campaigns happen and really understand the tech and how to optimize for success and growth. So we did a really fun campaign where we featured eight traders from around the world in like an attached like a they, they got to pick a superpower and how the, like intuition mm-hmm. or super speed or something that um, you know helps them throughout the day and how they leverage the tool and we did all kinds of video content a super cool photo shoot we can send you pictures of that too I want to see really it, yeah. really something what was great about it is it acknowledged and celebrated a team of people that isn't really part of the conversation sometimes in marketing circles, but they make media buying happen <laughs> for billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, I would like to see that campaign. Yeah, I'll show it to you. It's yeah. super cool. Okay, But cool. another example of bringing the humanity, mm-hmm. um, really wanted to be more human in telling the stories of our company and, and our brand. That is my favorite word, humanity. Or human. I'll, yeah. Either one works for me. Hence the tagline of CMO Moves. It's the humans behind the brands. Okay, so we're going to be coming up close to being out of time soon. Okay. And thank you for humoring all my questions because I'm fascinated by your world. I think it's there's so much still to learn. Yeah, and I think I just would say that putting yourself in a, posi- in a situation as a marketer where you don't necessarily – uh, you're not. You don't have experience in this particular sector. You don't necessarily know the path forward. It's growing so fast, so we're sort of figuring it out every single day, mm-hmm. accelerating our plans. Putting yourself in a, in a situation that's unfamiliar has been one of the most, you know, rewarding things that I have done. I, I feel extremely blessed to be in this place, and just would say that if people are that listen to this podcast are nervous about that. Um, I would just encourage them to try um, putting themselves on the cutting edge of what's happening because it is fascinating and marketing change and disruption is going to only increase further and be more, you know, there's going to be exponential change. So it's mm. been a really exciting ride. Well, good for you. And and tell me again, like when you made that decision to go from Tory Birch to the trade desk. How did you come up to speed? Like, what did you do first? What's super cool? It's it's an example of like women helping women. A few <laughs> a few weeks into the job, there are some really special women in my office, um, uh, Maeve and Asha, who sort of showed up in my office, <laughs> my, my office door. Um, and one is a director of trading, and one is a director and a director of accounts. And they said, "Look, we just want to meet with you and take you through a few things, and we can set up something weekly with you and go through the tool." And so. We started meeting and talking about all different subjects, data, targeting, um, you know, viewability, how to how to start campaigns. We, we, we actually launched a, a targeted campaign. Um, you know, what, what are some of the issues around fraud and fraud prevention? How do we prevent fraud on our platform? Mm. So we just went through different topics, and I 
I just couldn't say enough about these two. They're brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, when you're in a situation like that, you, you need to ask questions. And what I love about this story is it's an example of women helping women and young women helping, you know, the senior woman, which is, you know, an even better thing. So yeah, <laughs> awesome. we all have things to learn from the people around us. That is great. I'm so glad you shared that story that and you're right. You know, I just had um, Antonio Lucio on the show with Mark Pritchard. They did a duos and Antonio was really amazed by everything he was learning being at Facebook, you know, with his boss being 35 years old. <laughs> and he's surrounded by the younger generation. And the, the innovation that comes from cross-mentoring and being mentored mm-hmm. is just in- incredible and stimulating. And to stay relevant as a, a senior marketer, mm-hmm. you know, I applaud him for kind of diving into that world. It's a similar world the one I'm in, and to stay relevant, I just think it's mission critical for CMOs and and your listeners because things are changing fast. And what you can do with the technology is incredible. Yeah. Well, we have so much more we could talk about, but let's let's finish up this podcast with more about you. So when you first set out in your career, did you start in marketing or what, what got you into marketing? I started in finance. It was uh, the end of the 80s. So you know, Wall Street was like the hot movie. And so I figured, you know, I'm never one to miss a trend. (laughs) Um, So I uh, sure enough got a job um, uh, at Bankers Trust, which is now Deutsche Bank uh, on Wall Street here in New York, and then was in Chicago working for them. And when I was in my early 20s, I just started meeting all kinds of people who worked in in advertising. It was the heyday of advertising, kind of the end of the Mad Men era there. And so I decided I wanted to make a change. I was sitting in a room all day by myself, pretty much doing um, spreadsheets and mm. leverage buyout financial models. And the people I was meeting were like, you know, doing focus groups and figuring out what was on people's minds and then flying to L.A. and shooting TV commercials. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I started interviewing, knocking on doors and ended up getting into the system at Leo Burnett. And started working there. I worked there for almost six years before I went to business school, and that's where I really learned the nuts and bolts of advertising and marketing. It was a, it's as you probably know, it was a tremendous training ground for many people who are in marketing leadership roles today. Yeah, clearly, and and you brought that forward with your latest campaign. That that was clear. Yeah, and I think one of the lessons there, and it also happened to me after business school when I um, went to work at Banana Republic right after school and took me a while to kind of get that job, too, to convince them to interview me, um, is that you sort of have to knock on a lot of doors and not take no for an answer when you're really interested in something. So that's definitely been something that I've done throughout my career. I love that you said I went to Banana Republic and I got them to interview me. (laughs) (laughs) After after business school, um, I was at I went to Harvard Business School and they recruited on campus for this amazing program that they had at the time where they taught MBAs, how to be merchants in merchandising. But for some reason, they wouldn't interview me because I had such a robust marketing background. They said, oh, you're a marketer, so you're not for this program. So it was just kind of a a weird moment. But I really wanted to do it. So I ended up flying to San Francisco and during over spring break and convinced them to meet with me and ended up getting the job. Wow. So it just goes to, again, perseverance and knowing what you want. Um, I really f- think you can, if you if you keep going, you can you can make it happen. Wow, and clearly you've done everything from Wall Street to fashion, retail, now high tech. Uh, oh my goodness gracious! So 
okay, well, if you weren't doing what you were doing now and you weren't a CMO, money, talent, or no object, what would you be doing? Well, when people ask me, you know, if you weren't in this job, what job would you want to be doing? I say, uh, majority leader of the U.S. Senate. So <laughs> um, you know, get to control the situation. But um, but I think I would, if I could, you know, wave my magic wand and have any alternative career, it'd be theater, doing plays, Broadway. I just think acting and theater, putting on a play is a team sport. And I love doing things as a team, which is why I love my job so much now is it's really about the team doing something fantastic. Yeah. Well, sounds like you all are doing fantastic for sure. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's been really fun. Thank you so much, Nadine. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.